to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have my very special guests, Kara Yance and Sarah Kaiser, former members of The Message. I'm so glad to have you both on today to talk about your experience before, during, and after leaving The Message. And um, you both have been very active in the support groups, and I'm just really excited to have you both on here. It's good to be here. So as I understand it, both of you were in the same church and um, the same, I use the word church and I'll quote that, this, the same message following gathering of people. And um, it'd be interesting to know how both of you, how both of you know each other and how you came to be members of that same body of message believers. So I was born and raised into it. So I did not know anything before the message. My whole life consisted of it. Um, Karen and I always went to the same church, but we didn't really become friends until I was probably eight or nine. And we were pretty much inseparable ever since then and have stayed inseparable for many, many, many years. Yes. um, I joined probably around the age that Sarah was when she when we met each other and started being friends so eight or nine when my parents started going to church and um, like she said we are inseparable and always will be so Kara, you have a somewhat famous name in the message and um it's part of the reason i'm excited to have both of you on here as i understand it you were you're you were not born and raised in it so you have a different perspective from a lot of people like myself this is all i ever knew i was born and raised in this maybe if you could talk a little bit about what it was like uh, i call it being recruited but when your family decided to join what brought you into the message my grandmother actually was the one um taught like she would take me to church periodically as I was growing up and then she started talking to my mom about the message and um, my mom says that she realized that she should be the one taking her own kids to church so she started attending services regularly and then she came into the message and then after she had started attending regularly my dad joined back in Um, but I was in third grade I want to say so I had been out in the world um, for a while, like with no roles or anything, just living my my best childhood. (laughs) (laughs) And what was that like, Um, you know, out in the world? That's a phrase that we used when we were in this thing. It was us and them. What was it like suddenly being brought into a, a, a completely different lifestyle than what you were accustomed to? It was very shocking. Um, I remember once they took my pants away, I went to get dressed one morning and my mom came upstairs and she stood in my closet and I just grabbed a pair of pants like I normally would. And she was like, no, and took them out of my hands and made me put on this long jean skirt. (laughs) And I hated it. (laughs) And then a lot of people would ask me if I missed having a TV. And I was always like blunt and honest. And I was like, oh, yes, I absolutely miss having a TV. I feel like there's nothing to do. So, Sarah, your experience, you were like me. You were born and raised in it. What was what was life like for you whenever you were 
in this at the point in time in which that you met Kara? Well, um, my parents were not very social at all. And a lot of the other families were interconnected in the church and, you know, very social with each other. So I was the weird kid. Imagine being the weird kid out of a group of cult people. <laughs> that is, <laughs> you are like top tier weird kid. Um, Kara never minded though. And we got along. I don't even remember how we started hanging out or becoming friends, but we did. And it was just instantaneous. Um, but I didn't have a whole lot of friends. My, like I said, my parents weren't very social, so I wasn't doing a whole lot with other members of the church. And I just was very, very isolated, both, you know, from the world in general and also kind of just to my family. Um, I don't remember a lot about my life at that time specifically, unfortunately, because of the complex trauma that I experienced. I have blocked out a lot of portions of my childhood. So that's the other reason I'm interested to talk to you. Um <clears throat> I we're friends on social media and I, you know, I see some of the posts that you make and I'm, I see what your comments in the support groups. A lot of people don't realize this, but you are a lot like me. I grew up much the same way. My parents were not social. They, in fact, I might use the word antisocial. Um, and I'm, I'm still the weird guy. This whole thing that I do is, in my opinion, weird. And I'm <laughs> certain everybody who knows me who was never part of this think, oh, that's, that's kind of weird what he's doing. <clears throat> so I never get over the weirdness. I just embrace it and move forward <laughs> with it. Um, when you both met, <clears throat> so Kara, you had friends outside of the message. Were you inclusive of those friends or did it become more secluded like what what uh sarah's describing i was still pretty inclusive of them like i was allowed to have outside friends and hang out with them outside of uh school and things um but slowly over the years it was more focused on the church friends because i was a i was around them all the time so both of you being female, former members of the message, you had a much different experience than myself, who am a male. And the men in this message cult of personality, they had a, a much different perspective on just sexuality in general. Women were treated in many cases subordinate to the man in levels that were very excessively unhealthy. <clears throat> and um, it flowed straight from the top. You know, William Branham's doctrines on women are horrific. I'm curious to know from both of your perspectives, how would you consider life as a woman in this uh, message cult following? I always felt like I was at an unfair advantage. Like there were times where I thought to myself that I just wished that I had been born a man. And it was never like, I never felt like a man. It was never a transgender type of thing. I didn't want to dress like a man, but I just wished that I had been born to have the opportunities that a man had because I wanted to do things. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to learn. I wanted you know, to make something of myself. And I always wanted to do more than what I was allowed to do. 
and everything that I did in war was controlled by someone else. Nothing about myself belonged to me because I was a woman. My decisions were not my own. My clothing choices were not my own. You know, what I did in general was not my own. And it was very difficult as well because I grew up, my parents jokingly, jokingly would call me my dad's first son because he didn't have a son for several years after I was born. And so I was his little buddy and went with him everywhere, did everything with him. And so I was raised to be a little bit more independent and to do things on my own. I mean, I went on jobs and did physical labor with my dad. And then once I got to a certain age, it was, well, you're a young lady now, you don't act like this. And I'd always hang, hung out with the guys because I was with my dad. You know, I had always felt like one of the guys. And it was a very, very harsh transition to go from being accepted that way and being a part of that to now having to be a young lady, which is a phrase I hate to this day. And having to change everything about myself because I'm a loud, outgoing, extroverted, friendly person. And suddenly everything about my personality was wrong. So to kind of piggyback off of what she said, um, I was also the firstborn. So I was kind of in the position that she was in. I was very independent, still am to this day. And I feel like my life was planned out for me. And as I got older and started going against that plan of marriage, kids, um, I was definitely on the outside, even as a young, like 17, 18, 19 year old, because I, number one, was in public school. And then I went to college and that was very frowned upon. Um, and I, I don't know, I just hate that I didn't have a say in what I wanted my life to be. I never wanted to just get married and sit at home with children. I had always wanted to be a nurse and help other people. Um, and watching that struggle with me and my parents, my parents were attacked for allowing me to go against the planned life that people had for me. Um, it was just really hard. Yeah, it's interesting, your perspective on the way that you hated the, the phrase young lady, because... When you think of that term, you're thinking you're thinking of respect in most, you know, in most civilizations. A young lady, you're referring to somebody who is you want to respect and want to grow up to be somebody of respect and esteem. But in this, <clears throat> ladies entirely different. We were, as men, we were trained to believe that women should be barefoot, pregnant, and chained to the stove, right? So <clears throat> it's it's just so wrong and so backwards the way that things were handled. Um, Kara, from your perspective, so you, you mentioned the, um, you know, the clothing they changed the clothing whenever you came into this thing um i you know i never had anything like that in my family the men the closest thing that we could ha have as a man to what w the women experience was the shorts and you know men in some sects of the message the men could have shorts up to a certain age 
you know, 14, 15. And that's really the only difference. But for a woman, it's entirely different. The entire wardrobe and everything is quite a change. What was what was that like? Go a bit further with the dress code. Um, it went from just changing what I was wearing to from pants to skirts and dresses to, well, it has to be a certain length of dress and it has to be a certain length of sleeve and it can't be an appropriate size. We had to always buy clothes that were way too big for us um, and hung off of us because we could not show that we had any type of womanly shape um, or we would be at fault for causing a man to stumble even as a child. Um, And then as you grow up, it just gets worse and worse to the point where you're so uncomfortable to walk in front of the men at the church because you know that they are looking at you and they're watching what you wear. Um, Most Sundays before services, we would line up and have our parents check our clothing because we knew that when we got to church that that would be what was happening. Like the focus was on what the young ladies were wearing. Um to the point where there was a situation where I was wearing a dress that um, I had had my mom check that day because it was a new dress and um, it turned into this huge like scandal because one of the deacons went to my father saying that he could see my panty line and when I got home, um, we checked it again, and then we had two services on Sunday, and I was the little rebel that I was. I decided I was going to wear it that night anyways because there was nothing wrong with it. Um, and that night, a different deacon came up to my dad and was discussing, once again, my panty line showing at the church and how that was a distraction for everyone. Um, And so afterwards, we went to fellowship at a local restaurant. Um, We didn't have a fellowship hall. And I was confronted in the bathroom by the pastor's wife about my underwear line showing. And when I told her that there's no way that's possible, and I had very descriptive reasons of why that was not true, and I showed her that there's no way, and I did what I did with my mom, like tugged on the dress and moved it in every possible position to even make a panty line show. She's like, oh, well, they're not talking about your panty line. They're talking about the design on your underwear. And then I had reasons I could say that that wasn't true. Um, and it just felt so strange. And we actually had people from a different church visiting and they were like, and they were messaged too. And they were like, why is a deacon so concerned of what your clothing is like and why is he talking about what you're wearing which goes to show of how bad our specific church was in comparison to even the surrounding churches in the area wow it's like the fashion show from hell (laughs) it's hard to believe that hard to believe that this you know can even happen in a church um the the way in which the cult has progressed see i've i was in it for 37 years and it shifted so drastically over time we went to churches from arizona to south carolina and everywhere in between every church had a different flavor of what their rules of what you can and can't do were and the focus was always on this weird I don't know. It's it's like weird control of sexuality of the way in which men 
can see a woman and even sometimes the shape of the woman if their shape was you know different than another woman they might be you know more heavily persecuted which the whole thing is just so incredibly wrong sarah from your perspective the shift in the way that the rules you know the way the rules changed over time did you witness any of this were you in it long enough to see things becoming more extreme i guess is the way way to put it my family grew up with a branham family as you know and i've i've shared pictures of the way that you know, the Branham family, the boys wear shorts, the ladies had sleeveless tops and skirts above the knees. <clears throat> the level of control that I witnessed, you know, by the time we ended, you couldn't show ankle flesh. That's how bad it got. From your perspective, Sarah, do you remember any of that? Um, so when Kara talks about it changing, I think she's more referring to it changed as we got older, not so much what was allowed, but just how particular they were with us because our bodies were changing. It wasn't that the dress code was changing, but our bodies were changing. And there was obviously as, you know, our bodies changed, the dress code changed to match that, if that makes sense. Um, in an effort to keep us modest because we had to cover things that we didn't have to worry about covering before. And we had parts of our body that were different. So they didn't look the same in those clothes anymore. Um, I specifically remember this one time I was wearing an outfit and I had stayed like somewhere in between services, went somewhere in between services and borrowed clothes as we all did. You know, we all shopped in each other's closets for church services and whatnot. And I wore something, It w- I think it was light pink and had like a black heart on it or something. And it had a little over jacket, very modest. I was wearing a long skirt. It was pretty much covered from neck to toe. And afterwards, my parents told me, and they did it respectfully. They didn't, I didn't get in trouble. They just said, hey, you know, can you not wear that outfit again? And I was like, okay, well, what was wrong with it? So that way I remember why I'm not supposed to wear it. And the response was that there was nothing wrong with it specifically. It wasn't too tight. It didn't show anything. There weren't any undergarments that were visible. But it was the way the fabric moved when I walked caught a man's eye. Wow. And it just nothing that we did was right. I mean, I can say personally that one of the most miserable things about it was the sweat because here we are in the summer wearing full t-shirts under everything. Um, You're wearing jean skirts in the summer. And then most of us would wear leggings under our skirt just for comfort. I mean, not to get too graphic. I'm sure you can cut this out if you want, but I, I've always been a curvier I was always curvier growing up. And so I had thighs and they would rub together and gall so bad that I would be sobbing and couldn't walk. And then it was still a discussion between my parents about whether or not I was going to be allowed to wear leggings under my skirt to keep me from getting galled. Wow. It's just so wrong to think about 
shaming people because of the way their bodies are made. I mean, we're all humans. We all have human parts. <laughs> It'd be the same as if in the animal kingdom, if the male lion was to shame the female lion because she had a tail. You know, it's it's just so backwards and and wrong. And the way I understand it, the churches that have developed in that way where the women, they see the women as the problem. I mean, when you follow all of these paths out to their logical conclusion, the female is the problem. <clears throat> and we even have examples, I've shared them on the website, of street preachers in Canada who go and they're they're basically, their entire message is to shame the women because their bodies and the way that they're showing them. And <clears throat> this all stems from a select set of quotes from William Branham wherein the woman is the <laughs> it, it's so wrong and I, I feel stupid saying it but the woman is the reason why the destruction of the United States is coming that's literally what the man was talking about but yet if you're a female in this cult you're trying to reconcile the difference between the female gender causing the destruction of mankind because they were designed by Satan to deceive and then the men in the cult who develop in this way, they start, you know, they add add to their own <clears throat> their own doctrines. Well, if if they're causing men to deceive, we in the church don't want to be deceived by the women in our church, and it becomes so closely tied to just hell in general. The women are leading men into hell in these types of cults that you're describing in these cult churches you're describing. I've been to some of these and it's just so weird when you go. I one of the churches out west, you can't if you're a female, you can't have open-toed shoes because your toes, which is part of your body, might send a man to hell. What was that like just thinking, you know, the hell fires in general? What was <clears throat> as a female, what was this like for you? There was definitely a large amount of responsibility that was placed on us to keep the men from stumbling, um, which is harmful, not only in general and abusive, but what happens when you create that narrative is you also develop this mentality of victim blaming because that is such a slippery slope and it leads into well, a woman was asking for it if she was dressed that way. And a woman doesn't de deserve to be respected if she dresses that way. And it was also, as most things are, very much an oxymoron because they wanted us to dress this specific way. They wanted us to be modest. But at the same time, they would sit there. I remember being in rooms where the men would sit there and talk about movie stars that were so hot and that they found so attractive. And obviously these movie stars are not dressed like we were dressed. And it was just a very strange feeling of knowing that they're sitting there talking about how attractive these people are, but yet that's a standard that's not anywhere near the standard that we're held to. And the way that we would be talked about if we dressed that way would just be, I mean, we would be going straight to hell. My dad actually told me when he found out that I wore pants, that I was going to send me and every man that looks at me straight to hell. 
Um, I know Sarah has a better story than I do, but um, when I was younger, I was really skinny and had no shape. And I had to listen to the older women say that they wish they had my body type because I could wear clothing that they couldn't get away with and I could wear smaller sizes. And it just created this really unhealthy, um, like body image and, and saying these things in front of young girls. Um, and then like she said, hearing the men talk about the women that way, while we were held at such a high standard and not allowed to even dream of wearing the thing that those women were wearing, it was very confusing. I remember that very clearly being in the message and as a young male with raging hormones, like all human young males have, you're given this set of weird double triple standards. You've got the double standards of, you know, the shame of the human body and, and then certain members of the cult who were allowed to wear things and other you know, other members of the cult were not. But then beyond that, you go to the double standards for women and non-cult women. As a male, I remember exactly what you're talking about. This movie stars incredibly beautiful and she's dressing like a normal person. But then a, you know, a lady who's in the cult can't wear this. She's offensive to me. I, I had to mentally train my brain to believe that if a woman was wearing something that was quote of the world they were to be offensive to me but i had no problem you know even at work i would see women dressed in the normal standards of the day i i never even gave it a second thought because they weren't cult women and that set of double standards i have to say from a personal experience it created a lot of just mental struggles and I know this leads to mental health issues fortunately it never led me into it but for a lot of men who really struggle with this it leads them into all forms of abuse because the brain is literally playing tug-of-war with itself you know with all of the double standards the triple standards trying to reconcile <clears throat> just human nature in general trying to reconcile what it is to be a human male what it is to have a desire for a human female <clears throat> did you have anything like this was there was there abuse in the cult did it did any of this lead to situations where you were aware of abuse there was a lot of abuse that was not talked about. Unfortunately, really the only thing that people even gave a second glance would have been physical abuse, but the emotional abuse and the mental abuse and the verbal abuse, that was constant. But part of that is because a cult group, the relationship that you have with a cult group will mimic a toxic, unhealthy, abusive relationship. And so we were receiving so much abuse from the pulpit and from the other members because you can't be a member of an abusive cult without being both a perpetrator and a victim. And so it kind of creates this cycle where everybody's in a way abusing each other. But at the same time, because women were second class citizens, we were at the bottom of the barrel for the abuse. Like we caught everything that overflowed. Um, I also, I did want to touch on some, talking about the different standards. I don't know how it is in other churches, but in ours specifically, 
women were held responsible for keeping a relationship pure. Like we were told that we were the ones that had to say no because men would naturally want to be physical with us, would want to be sexual with us. But it was our job to say no, to refuse them, to stay pure, to keep them pure. There was no responsibility placed on the man whatsoever. And it was brushed off with, well, that's just how men are. Um, But the abuse, going back to the abuse part of it, I personally experienced abuse both growing up and in my marriage. And when you create a situation where someone is completely powerless in a relationship dynamic, you make way for abuse because a woman is not supposed to have a job. She's not supposed to be independent. She's not supposed to, you know, have anything kind of to her name, really. She's supposed to be at home barefoot and pregnant, like you said, and the man's supposed to be out providing. So she has no avenue of escape. And that kept a lot of women trapped in unhealthy marriages, in abusive marriages. Uh, We were also taught the doctrine that you cannot, or that a woman cannot remarry after she's divorced, but a man can. So that kept a lot of women as well because it was either stay in what you're already dealing with and at least have someone and have help with the kids or you left and you had to be single for the rest of your life. Um, in my relationship specifically, I experienced abuse, both mental or not both, but all mental, emotional verbal, um, and sometimes physical. And I've said many times that I wish that it had all been physical because that would have been easier to overcome mentally than all of the other abuse that I went through. And I did try to confide in someone about the abuse. It was a family member that I was close to and they were part of the ministry. And when I did that, I was told that because of my lack of attendance, that was the reason that I was being abused because they had prayed that God would make me miserable and my spouse miserable until we both went to church. And when I told him what had been happening, like the screaming and the yelling and the physical abuse, his response was, that's a normal man. Everyone goes through that in the beginning of their marriage. I personally, um, in my first marriage was, there was a situation Uh, where things had gotten heated and I was standing in front of the couch and I was taken by my throat and slammed down with my back flat on the couch. Uh, There was another time where I was standing in front of a wall and he was across the room from me and he came towards me and just slammed me up against the wall. Just grabbed me by the arms and shoved me back against it. And I talked about these Like I told, you know, that person that I confided in what happened and that was the response that I received. So then when I did finally leave him in that relationship, I was called a liar by my entire family because they said if something had been going on that I would have said something earlier. And I said, I did. I did say something and they just brushed it off, said that, you know, it didn't happen. I didn't experience that. So that was hard as well, not only having to deal with leaving, you know, a marriage and leaving pretty much everything behind. I picked up and moved 12 hours away. 
Like I left my entire life behind. Um, but having to start over, I also had to deal with the fact that I didn't have any support from my family. They actually supported him and had him over for Christmas and everything afterwards. The way that they portrayed their marriages and how they would talk about, oh, the first three years are horrible. And, and um, even the sexual side of you can't refuse your husband and all these things. Like I was terrified to get married. And I think that contributes to why I was so much older than all of my friends who got married because I was so scared to be in that situation where I had no power and control. And I didn't have very many examples of good marriages. So I was like, why would I put myself in that situation where I'm going to be miserable and stuck for the rest of my life? Because the women don't leave. They only end up single if the man leaves them. So they're stuck their entire lives being miserable and raising these kids and not being able to do anything. They're just stuck at home. And I didn't want to do that. So I stayed single for a very long time to the point where it was being criticized and I was being called like an old maid at 20 something years old because I was not married. Um, But they scared me and I didn't want to be. Often emotional abuse leads to other forms of abuse. And you mentioned the emotional abuse in the church. Were you aware of any sexual abuse in the church? I did not experience any as a child. I know that's very common. I'm thankful that that wasn't the case. Um, However, I did in my marriage experience marital coercion. And it took me a long time to understand that that was sexual abuse and that I had gone through that because we view sexual abuse as one thing, but it's not. Um, And I felt like my trauma was irrelevant because it was not to the severity of other people's and that I had technically consented. Um, Me and my husband agreed that we weren't going to do the, you know, my body is not my own thing when we got together. And then, of course, as the abuse escalated, I started feeling less and less safe in the relationship. Um, And my body just kind of shut down. Like I no longer wanted to engage in marital relations. I had also been shamed by my husband for my body. Uh, I had gained a lot of weight after we got married due to health issues and I was on the wrong birth control, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, But there were just many different reasons why I didn't want to engage that way. And of course, I dealt with the internal shame of feeling like I was a bad wife and that I was not, you know, doing my duty and I wasn't, there was something wrong with me. And it was constantly brought up in my relationship. And of course, like every once in a while, I would cave because it just got to a point of nagging where I was like, if I do this, then, you know, at least it will just make the nagging stop for a little bit. Um, So I, I would, and I would do my duty as a wife and I would cry in the shower every single time afterwards. And I didn't have a bad experience in the beginning. My parents, I feel, raised me with a healthy view on sex for, you know, for being raised in purity culture because they were open about it when we were teenagers. And, you know, we were allowed to ask questions. We were allowed to talk about it. And their stance on it wasn't the purity culture version, you know, the purity culture, um, the norm of it's wrong, it's bad, you shouldn't do it. 
it was, it's great and it's amazing, but it's special and you should save it for the person that, you know, you're going to be with. So I didn't face a lot of the shame that my friends did. And I do feel like I had a healthy mindset going into it, but I did end up experiencing the self-shame and the shame from my husband for not having the drive that he thought I should have. One of the things that surprised me whenever I left the message movement was the fact that there were so many things that were covered up, so many obvious problems that had we been aware, you know, we would have run screaming long before we did. I was, you know, like I said, I was 37 years old before I left this thing. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. You Now that you've been out and you've been made aware of some of the darker side of the message, what was the one thing that shocked you most that you discovered after you left? Discovering that he was connected to Jim Jones so much so that there is a tape recording where he mentions him by name and calls him a good Christian brother despite the fact that he was supposed to have this amazing gift of discernment. And then Jim Jones, obviously, we all know the story, what happened there. That was a huge, huge shock to me. I, it still catches me off guard sometimes because I've seen so many documentaries and stuff about what happened in Jonestown and knowing that what we were in could have ended that way had Branham not been killed in a car accident, it's just mind-boggling to think about because it could have gotten that far. So going off of talking about their discernment, in our church, their discernment was always off, always. And um, an example of a minister discussing someone being a good Christian brother is I have a family member who was very abusive to his wife and children and our family, and a lot of us are sitting in the congregation listening to a minister talk about what a good Christian brother he is, and when he was confronted about this, he said that he was trying to, I don't really know how to word it, I guess manifest this to come true, but in my opinion, it was more about keeping him in the church because this family member has a lot of money and that means there's a lot of tithing that comes along with that. So let's talk about the emotional abuse and the spiritual abuse that happens in these churches. I'm, I've never been to the church that you grew up in, so I, I can't speak specifically to it, but I can say that in general, there is a widespread thread of religious abuse that flows through all of these message cult churches in so much that while you're under it the the way that it rips your mind apart and the way that it deconstructs a, a person it's it's almost like it instills this fear of god instead of you know we've experienced churches after leaving the message and <laughs> and and just simply reading the Bible, God is supposed to be the God who loved the world so much that he sent his son, right? But we weren't like this. We were trained to believe that it was almost like the 
ancient pagan gods. You know, they were the god of wrath, the god of judgment, the god, the god that you should fear. And and honestly, if you have any any logical thought about you, it's a god that you despise because he's he's not a good god. I'll just put it like that. Were there any doctrines in your church that that was like this? Were there any doctrines that affected you in in a negative way? I definitely was raised with a really fearful impression of God. And there was always this threat of hell that was kind of hung over our heads. I mean, not even kind of. There was always this threat of hell that was hung over our heads. And hell was a very real thing, even at a young age. I remember being in service and hearing the preacher talk. I can see where I was sitting in the service. I can remember it so vividly because it was just the most terrifying thing in the world as I was probably 10 years old at that point. And he is describing being in hell and hearing the screams of people being tortured and feeling your skin boil and watching it drip off onto the ground and sizzle and smelling burnt flesh. It was so vividly described and so horrifying. I, even as a, even younger than that, I remember having what I know now are panic attacks because I was just so scared of hell and so scared that I was going to hell. And I also believe that that is what caused a lot of my anxiety attachment issues as I got older, but it really taught us that love was not unconditional. Nobody there knew how to have unconditional love because how much you were loved was based on what you did and where you were in life at that point. And because of that, my parents never learned unconditional love. I didn't learn unconditional love until I left. I didn't experience unconditional love. And that's really, really hard as a child that's growing up, that's making mistakes to know that how much you're loved is based on what you do. I always say that God was so misrepresented to us. And I struggle even to this day of what I believe because everyone was going to hell for the simplest reasons. And we were constantly in a state of repentance because it's like, oh, well, I, you know, you sin every hour upon every hour upon every hour. And it was very traumatizing to think I could go to hell for the simplest reasons like they taught. And the panic attacks were real. They happened in church on a regular basis. And we were told that that was the Holy Spirit moving through us. And looking back, I know that that's not the truth. And it just, it's hard to talk about because they say, well, that's when you had your experience with God is when you had those uh, falling out in the floor screaming fits. And when you take that away and you realize, no, those were just panic attacks, it kind of like, oh, well, then I didn't have an experience with God. But then you have to realize, well, that's not the true God and that's not how he really is. And... I, I know of a story where a guy came back to church because he was at home one night and he woke up and his family hadn't come home yet. And he didn't know that there was just a really late sermon going on and like a service had lasted a long time. And so he 
had a panic attack and drove to church thinking the rapture had happened. And he was so scared that he had missed it. And that's why he went back to church. And they tell this like it's a good testimony. But it's that poor guy woke up thinking that his whole family was gone. And he was just taught to believe that he had missed out because he hadn't attended church that night. I remember waking up as a young kid, I would wake up so much earlier than everybody else, just my natural circadian rhythm. And there were a lot of times where I would wake up and the house would be quiet. And I would have to go and check my parents' room to make sure that they were still there because I was instantly like woke up in a panic because I thought I had missed the rapture as a very, very young child. It's just so horrific. I mean, if you're a Christian and you believe in God, this wasn't the Christian God that they were portraying. This was a God of wrath. This was a God of judgment, not one who loves you. And more to the point, you don't even teach, you don't even treat a dog like this. If you want to, if you have a pet and you want your pet to become better, you give them treats. You don't constantly keep them in fear of the beating. But we were raised to be less than dogs. We were treated less than dogs. And if you're a female in this thing, the central figure, William Branham, even said the female is less than a dog or a hog. So you're trained and manipulated in that environment. And how can you even consider it a healthy environment? It's not. The three of us spoke offline before this, and we also have another thing in common, and that's church split, as I understand it. Um, The church that my grandfather led right before his death was one of the most massive and (laughs) well-known splits, wherein my grandfather called the sons of Branham. In his words, they were after the money of the parents. I can't remember his exact phrase, but um, according to the church, the deacon board and my grandfather, apparently the Branham sons stole half of the property under the church, which is really odd when you think of it. But we share this in common. Apparently, your church also had a split. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I would say it was end of 2018, early 2019. Um, A lot of things were going on with the ministry. Um, It was more like a jealousy thing because they were trying to be um, the pastor's sidekick, I guess, number one favorite person. And so there was a lot of tension building up. And then um, they were realizing that if certain people with specific last names did something, there was no consequence to what they would do. While on the other hand, people would be ridiculed for doing the exact same thing. Um, So the tension just kept building and building. And finally, there was just like, something has to happen. So one of the ministers um, in February of 2019 decided to start a church um, in actually in the same county as the original church. And um, he took quite a few members with him um, in that church. Um, I originally had stayed in the first church uh, and for probably two or three weeks. And then I just saw how the church was handling it and the lies that were being told about why the people had left and the visiting ministers that were coming in were saying that they had not been told anything and that had happened and it was pure 
discernment and word from the Lord of what they were speaking to us. And we all knew that that was not true. They were very well um, versed on what had occurred over the last few weeks. Um, And it got to the point where we're sitting in church and the pastor finally decided to address what had happened. Um, And I was sitting there like tears streaming down my face and um I so I looked down because I was so, like sobbing because I was sitting in the same exact spot that I always did and I looked around and all of my friends and people that I was with on a daily basis were gone um and the minister started yelling at me telling me that I needed to look up and pay attention to what he was saying and it was that was the last um, time I went there. So I actually in 2019 went to the split off church, um, and it was okay for a while. And then it just ended up being, oh, these are the same people that I've always been raised with. They're exactly the same that they were here as they were at the old church. Uh, and they used the church split as an excuse to. Um, explain the pastor's illness because the pastor of that church became very ill from his um, diseases that he had ignored his entire, like I would say adulthood. Um, And he became very sick. And I, I was in the hospital room when um, one of the nurse practitioners came into the room and was asking him what had happened that caused his health to be as bad as they were and all the things that could cause it she was listing he was like oh i don't do that i don't do that i don't do that well then she said that stress could cause it and being in the room where all of the congregants were sitting there and started like bashing the people that had left for causing his sickness because it caused him stress was just traumatizing and very hard to hear And I had already left that church at that point. So it was very awkward sitting there being someone who had left hearing the blame placed upon me for his illness. I was in a different position with the church split because I had not been going to that church very much at all. At that point, I had really distanced myself from it. And I remember getting the call about the church split and I was not surprised by what had happened. Um, I actually was on, you know, I supported the church that I had grown up in because I disagreed with the way that the person who split it had handled it. And still to this day, in some ways I do, but at the end of the day, it's all so wrong that it doesn't really matter who did what or why, but I did support the church that I had grown up in, I did start going back to services for a little while just to show my support. Um, Kara and I remained friends through it all somehow, even though we were on very different sides of the story. Uh, but we, we uh, agreed to disagree and just not overly discuss what had gone on. Uh, but I definitely saw a lot that looking back was very shameful behavior from the root church because there was so much just blatant slander for these people that had left. 
And our church specifically had always been very, I don't know what word you would use because I've always said just very culty, more so than a lot of other churches, because it wasn't just you need to be in the message. It was you need to be in this church, almost as if that specific church was the only one that was doing things correctly. And it had always kind of been that way where if somebody left the church, then they were seen as a traitor in some ways. And we didn't really fellowship with the other churches that were in our area, even though they were close by. And I feel like we did in the beginning when I was younger, and then it just got more and more secluded as time went on, um, probably due to some mental health issues on the part of the pastor. Um, Yeah, I don't have a lot of inner, I didn't have a lot of personal um, investment in the church at that point beyond just social and, you know, hearing what was going on. So for me, it wasn't really an emotional thing when it happened. But I definitely witnessed a lot that I can say was not Christ-like behavior. (laughs) Yeah, I can only imagine. Was that, if you both were to point to one single thing that made you decide to leave, was it the church split or was it something else? For me, it was quite a while after the church split, actually, because after pretty soon after the church split, I got married and actually went to a church in Tennessee. So I kind of got out of that environment um, for a good while. So that wasn't really what led me to leave. It was more of when COVID happened and I was, we were not allowed to go to church because I went to a mega church and there was just too many people. So we were studying the message on our own. And then when you start studying on your own is when you realize what he actually said about things and what he actually said about women. And that started my spiral of leaving, um, was discovering the things that he had said about women. Um, In particular, the first thing I read was um, where he said, and I'm paraphrasing, um, something along the lines of, if if a woman wears a certain type of clothing and smokes a cigarette, her husband should beat her with a board. And that just sent me into the spiral because I have witnessed abusive relationships in my family. And I was like, that I've never seen that as okay. So how could this prophet of God say that that is okay? And then I found where he said that women were designed by Satan. And that just kind of secured it to me that he wasn't the prophet of God. Um, but I did continue to stay for a while. Um, I We ended up moving back to Arkansas, my husband and I. And then uh, we were kind of in and out for a while. Uh, and we were attending the church that had split off. Um, but once I had my daughter and realized that I did not want her raised in the way I was raised and feeling about herself the way that I felt about myself and just the aspect of not feeling like she fit in and being confident in herself once she got old enough to be around like school age children, I knew that that would be a struggle. And I also didn't want her sitting in a church service hearing the things that we were taught, like 
the things about hell. I didn't want her being a child and fearing hell. So that was what led me to leave. And my final step out was um, we had attended a youth gathering at the split off church and we didn't go to the youth service the night before. And I had a six month old at the time and we, my husband and I were in line to get food. And one of the deacons of the church started um, confronting us about why we did not attend the youth service. And we were giving our reasons um, and those were not good enough to him. And he basically started yelling at us for not forcing our six month old to attend church and that we would be sorry that she didn't attend church when she got older and she grew up to not believe the message. And that was um, our last attendance to anything like that. And sitting there watching the people that I thought should have stood up for me with how close I was to them. And they just sat there silently. That that was what ultimately led for, to me leaving. For me, it was a much slower process. And it started with taking a step back because, as I had said earlier, my attendance was a lot less. And seeing a lot of the conflicting beliefs that they had, um, for one, you know, God is love, God loves everybody. But then also the way that they treated LGBT people and talked about LGBT people never sat right with me because I didn't feel like they deserved hate, especially if we were supposed to be bringing them into the fold or loving them as Christ would. I didn't feel like they deserved hate simply for who they loved. That just wasn't, it didn't make any sense to me. And the fact that we were the ones that were going to heaven and we were the bride and we were this and we were that. And we were so special. And yet my sister-in-law at the time was a non-messaged believing Christian who read her Bible all the time, who prayed consistently. And I wasn't doing those things. And I thought, you know, she's a better Christian than me. And yet she's supposedly going to hell because she doesn't follow this set of standards that we do. Um, and I started reading and I started researching. I moved 12 hours away. So that definitely gave me some space. And also COVID happened right after. So there was no chance of going to a church. And I just started reading and researching online. I looked up the message for the first time just objectively like the message William Branham and saw a bunch of stuff about how it was a cult. I did not believe that at the time. It caused me some anxiety, but I didn't fully buy into it. And then I just started reading more and more. There was a friend that I was talking to pretty consistently and I would talk about my experiences and they you know, would kind of talk back and forth and be a sounding board for me. And I remember I was looking up stuff about cults. I'd always been interested in them, ironically. I had always read about cults. I'd always been interested in how they work. And I was reading about what a high demand, high control group was. And I realized as I was going down the list that the church that I was raised in had every single one of those qualities. And I remember the day that I realized the penny finally dropped that I realized I was raised in a cult and for about five hours, my, I was on the phone with my friend that I had been talking to as a sounding board and my world melted. My brain melted for five solid hours. 
because I realized that everything I had ever known, everything I had ever been taught was a lie. And for anyone that says that it's easy and that deconstructing is not an incredibly painful process, they honestly have no idea what they're talking about because nobody, nobody wants to wake up one day and realize that they don't actually know anything because everything they thought they knew was wrong. Nobody wants to live through that and no one wants to go through the mental battle of questioning yourself because you were taught not to trust yourself. I will say um, I am one of the things that I am the most thankful for and I am grateful for it every single day is the fact that Kara got out because we had always stayed close and she was my best friend, still my best friend. And having somebody that shares your experiences and loves you like that just is unreal. Somebody that knows exactly what you've been through and when she told me that she was pregnant, I was super excited, but I was also terrified because I thought, oh God, this is what's going to keep her in. And when she told me she was having a girl, my heart just sank. I don't even know if I've told her that. I'm sure I have. But I just instantly was filled with dread knowing that somebody else was going to go through what I went through growing up. And it broke my heart and I had to pretend to be happy and excited. And I, I was for the fact that my best friend was having a baby, but I was just so terrified for what that child was going to have to go through. And I, uh, I, long before that I had started breadcrumbing a little bit. I was screenshotting things from the group on Facebook and cropping everything out. So that way she couldn't see what the group was, couldn't see where it came from. But I would just crop everything and then I would be like, did you know this? And I would just drop it. I didn't try to give my opinion on it. I didn't try to share what I felt about it. I just said, hey, did you know that this was said and then just left it alone? And I feel like that it did help in her research because she eventually was like, do you know of any other people that have left? And then that's when I brought her into the Facebook group. And uh, yeah the rest is history so sarah kara if you could go back in time and you could say one thing to your former cult self uh what would you say to yourself it depends on at what point i was talking to her but i would tell her that it's going to be okay and she's going to look in the mirror one day and she's going to not only love her body but she's going to love herself and she's not going to be filled with hate and shame and rage and bitterness. And she's not going to be controlled by anyone. And that her best friend's going to get out with her. And she's going to have a beautiful little niece and goddaughter and a god dog. And they're both going to be incredibly happy. And that she's going to do everything that she said she wanted to do when she was little and they told her that she couldn't because since leaving, I have, um, I have tried so many things that I've wanted to try. I have become a model. I have sang, I have put myself out there online, um, in, you know, with content and different things. I have made friends. I'm going to move to a bigger city and start a life there. And um, I got my sibling out 
my sibling is gender non-binary. At 19 or at 18, I, when she was 18, I went and picked her up and she now lives with me and lives her life the way that she wants to and she's happy. And that regardless of the fact that I had to leave everyone and everything behind, I still built a really beautiful life with people that love me and people that want to be in my life because they love me. And it's filled with unconditional love and not this pretend version of love that we were taught. And that even though I will probably never have a relationship with my family again, I am a whole person. Um, I would first tell myself to leave when I first thought about leaving, um, which was when I was 18. And then I would also tell my younger self that it's okay. You don't have to be afraid to be your true authentic self. And you don't have to be afraid to try new things and get married. And you don't have to be afraid to have children because it's not going to be the way that you were taught it's going to be. And, uh, I would tell herself, myself that you can have confidence in who you are and not be the quiet, quiet, shy person that everyone thinks you are. Because you're not actually quiet and shy. You're just so scared to be yourself. And then also I would tell her that her best friend got out too. And that you would still be best friends. And that it was worth it. And it would be hard. But it it turns out so good in the end. So you've both done it. You've both made me cry on the show for the first time. And uh, actually multiple times. We <laughs> offline to, to the audience who didn't see me cut that out. I actually did it twice. <clears throat> I'm very glad that you both came on here today to share your story. And I'm certain that our listeners are going to love hearing success stories like both of you. Um, Kara, so... I'm also interested to share with everyone your last name is famous. Maybe you could tell a little a little bit more about that and how that is related to your story. So I married um, a guy from Tennessee, and his name is Caleb Yance. And if you're in fellowship with the churches that we were in, um, you would recognize that name because his grandpa is a famous message singer, and he has quite the album collection um, and he used to go around and tour and sing so that's how most people know my last name is um, being a yance um, so when I when I left and when I um, um, post about my story and things it gets a lot of attention because of who I am related to through my marriage and um, hopefully uh, that has a lot of pull with someone someday and they're like, oh, she can get out even though she was a part of such a big, important message family. Um, I can get out too. I just want to brag on her husband for a minute because that was another fear that I had with the possibility of her getting out is because it's always harder for the men because they don't understand what we've gone through. They don't understand why it's so hard for us to live it. And I was really, really worried that either her relationship would have to end for her to get out or she just wouldn't get out because of her relationship. And 
there are so many abusive relationships in the message. It's unreal. But seeing the way that he has loved her and the way that he has taken care of her, even though she's 12 hours away, I don't have to worry that she is being loved and she is being cared for. And watching both of them become parents and knowing what they both went through as kids, but seeing them become healthy parents who love their child and raise their child with love. And that child will never know fear or abandonment or be threatened with hell. And I am so thankful that out of all the people that she could have ended up with, it was Caleb because he's a really, really good man. And I'm very happy for the both of them and happy that he loves her the way that she deserves to be loved, even though he wasn't shown how to love somebody. Well, I'm so thankful that you both came on to share your story. I I just have to say that your story is amazing, both of you. And I, as much as I enjoyed it talking through this with you and even the conversations we had beforehand, I'm just still amazed that you both are such success stories. And I'm certain that you're, you're going to be an inspiration for a lot of people. If you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the Healing Revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message. Available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. <laughs>